Hello once again, everybody. I'm Jimmy. I'm Stuart. I'm Ben. And this is another episode of Movie Show Theater, and this week we're going back to the Depression. In a world where movies are everywhere, these heroes will make sense of some of the world's strongest films. This is Movie Show Theater. So this is going to be uh, the episode that my dear mother suggested. Um, we're looking at, uh, I guess... Thanks, Mrs. Malone. Thanks, Mrs. Thanks, Malone. Malone. Thanks, Mrs. Thanks, Malone. Jeez, wow. I made it sound like they were fine yeah. right there, right? Thanks, Mrs. Malone. Thank you. <laughs> wow. So I thought <laughs> it was like an interesting idea. I thought it was an interesting idea right away, and then now that I've watched these two, um, especially To Kill a Mockingbird and the... Crash. And crash, yeah, but the uh, frightening relevance that, you know, of the content in certain scenes in The Kill a Mockingbird, it's like, I don't know, we can either just jump back and forth from from crash to, to Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess the, the quandary that I'm put in is, you know, they, they both have a lot to do with each other. They're both, you know, um, filmed in very different times, but they're, such, they're so interesting as well. uh, yeah, apart. Absolutely. You know, they, you know, you could do a whole episode on either one of the films. They have Macon versus Los Angeles, too, so not only different periods altogether, two very different locations geographically, even though, obviously, they're both in the United States, worlds apart as far as two very different, Two very different types of, even a culture, because we have one, it's a very small town mentality, you know, obviously during the 1930s, and the other very large, bustling, you know, city in modern day. I mean, and, and the the two cultures are oh, just shockingly different. But then the time frame as well is just so dramatically different. And, and But they're both tackling a problem that is never going to go away. It's just never going to go away. Because as long as people remain to be ignorant... I do like that the director, Paul Haggis, the guy that did uh, Crash, that he didn't try to bullshit some solutions. I'm I'm glad that he didn't wrap it up real sweet, because obviously, if you're going to make a movie like this, you're more than aware of this, you know, giant problem that's not just, you know, black versus white, but, and and it's not even necessarily race-related, it's just the idea of hatred and it's the idea know, of intolerance ac- it's in, it's intolerance across the board yeah and, and i'll i'll be honest with you as i was watching this film i i think i've seen it like maybe one other time other than when i watched it yesterday but as i'm watching this film i i'm thinking to myself these are some of the stupidest people i've ever seen on camera they are the they are so petty and small in how they are even reacting with the people in their own peer group. I I was so uncomfortable for the first half an hour, forty five minutes. I I almost turned this film off three times. Mm-hmm. I'm just I I, I just I, I almost turned it off and I almost called you, Jimmy, and said, I'm sorry, I can't watch this. I, I just am too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what they were trying to do. Maybe they were trying to make me that uncomfortable. Maybe that was the whole idea of the film was to make me uncomfortable. But I don't know. I, I've I've been around racist people. I've you know I, I'm you know at times surrounded by them, but I've never known one. With the exception of of well, it, it, there was maybe one in my life who was that blatantly ignorant, mm-hmm. right up front, right in your face, ignorant, you know, and and I, I just uh, I don't know. Some of the characters just bothered me in that regard. Yeah, bothered think, me more than I, I should have been bothered. I think one of the uh, another interesting factor with Crash is that there are certain characters and even side characters that are yes, that's the definition of racist. And then there's other characters who, at the beginning, Ryan Philippi, you think, okay, he's noble, he's good, but, but he's then, not. But he's not. So he ends up, he, is, he ends up pretty much profiling. Uh, I mean, you could. This is at your own discretion because if if we're like flashing toward the end and well, which is actually the beginning because it's one of those movies right. where the end and the beginning are linked together. Well, mm-hmm. Ryan Philippi's character is 
supposed to be a uh, green almost rookie cop and you know through events the film makes it looks like okay you know he's not racist he just cares about human beings but then he, he picks he, up a black man and ends up killing him and looks like he profiles him but he doesn't him. profile him the guy reaches into his pocket all right now and this is the argument my what Lynn and I had last night after that that particular scene he did everything a cop should do up until the point where he pulled the trigger. Mm-hmm. He did everything that a cop would have done. And unfortunately, he pulled the trigger, you know? This guy is not answering. The guy is not telling him why he's reaching into the pocket. He's just laughing at him. Mm-hmm. And and he's already freaked out by the thought. You know, he's already freaked out by his conscience. He's already been pushed into a situation where... Um, He's now on his own because he had a conscience, because he wanted to be the good cop. And he didn't know how. He didn't know how to do it other than what he did do. And even his lieutenant was like, no, I'm sorry. I, this is the world that we live in. You either live in it or you live apart with this stigma. And the stigma is hilarious. But the flatulence. The, the uncontrollable flatulence. Mm-hmm. That's hilarious. But it's also a stigma then. And, and yeah, he picked the... He picked the kid up for the best possible reasons, and the kid's laughing for the best possible reasons. It was a pure miscommunication. But what this does to this character then, after this point, where is he going after this? Does he continue down this road where he's no longer going to trust? Or does he fall apart now as a result of having killed somebody accidentally or innocently? Yeah, I I, I was just going to say, I still think it's profiling... Because of one specific line, uh, the character um, who Brian Philpy's character ends up picking up, Brian Philpy's character says, oh, so what were you doing? Ice skating? He says, then Brian Philpy's character says sarcastically, oh, yeah, really. Yeah, and then he makes a comment about All the right, yeah, music. No, yeah, music. okay. It, it, I get it. I get it. However, I think that the, that, that character's intentions all along were genuinely good. Well, that's what's so interesting as far as playing on your emotions. You know, this is no, this is not a racist cop that just shot a black man. This is somebody who was completely, uh, you know... You would have mistaken. expected it from his former partner. Right. Some of the characters in this movie are the and completely racist. And then other ones, it's they're not racist, but the, the lines are blurred. There are because of circumstances, because of... You know, like the I'm thinking of the Sandra Bullock bit when she first gets home with Brendan Fraser and she starts to um, go off on him about the uh, Michael Pena's character. Yeah, the locks, man. Yeah, yeah, the locks because he has a neck tattoo, labeling him as a gangbanger. Right. Is that a race? Is that a racial-driven comment? Yes. Is she racist? Absolutely. Uh, Not necessarily. So it's it's not as black and white, clear cut. I feel like. Well, then towards the end when she basically, you know, after her experience of falling down the stairs and the only person who she could count on was her, you know, Latina housekeeper mm-hmm. who shows up at the right moment to, to, to basically take care of her and to, 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 to make her feel better. And the telling moment when she gives her housekeeper a hug and says, mm-hmm. you are my best friend. And, and is she racist? Yeah, a little bit. But is she also a human being who has weak moments and needs other people? Mm-hmm. Very much so. These All of these characters in this movie are, are just basically the most weak and flawed examples of people. With, with one exception. With one exception. And I'm going to throw this out there. The locksmith, uh, Daniel. He's the only one who doesn't. He's Besides, the only one who doesn't profile others around him. Except for maybe, uh, you know, the Persian shopkeeper, his daughter ends up being the nurse. the fucking door when he does. I think she's the only other one, and she's a minor character, but it seems like seems like she's just there to maybe move the plot along a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, she would probably be the only other one, but she doesn't really get much screen time, though. She's not yeah. really a very, very, very important character to the I plot. think her biggest role was buying the blanks because the Iranian oh, God, or yeah. the Afghanistan gentleman... Oh, no, he, they're Iranian. He yeah, the have, Persian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, wouldn't yeah. Have, he wouldn't have known to buy the blanks. The guy would have had to explain it. It was just a little catalyst for something I, later down the road. Absolutely. That scene uh, killed me. That scene where the little girl runs I thought, out. I thought for sure, I thought for certain that that little girl was going to die. I thought for certain, mm-hmm. and and 
I, I mean, this is, for, I'm sorry, everyone, but this is a huge spoiler, but, you know, she doesn't, obviously, but it, it's his turn then in his mind, the, the Iranian shopkeeper's turn, with her being his guardian angel, it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, no, she was not his guardian angel. It was his daughter all along that was watching out for him. It was his daughter who, you know, we see in the hospital as a, an ER a doctor then later. And, and, and understanding that she had a plan all along to keep him from basically hurting himself. Mm-hmm. You know, he needed the gun. He wanted the gun. And, and he is intolerant from the time we meet him, too. He is just an angry, angry, angry person. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit victimized in the gun shop, you know, well, against the Fox, Mr. Fox News. Oh, yeah. Um, no kidding, right? Who talks yeah. to that man. But then it's like, no, you really are angry. And then even at the end, it's like, I don't know. I mean, not everybody gets the redemption, and that's an important part, no. you know. The, everything is so open-ended, and I feel like that's a major theme of the movie is... You know, Paul Haggis is not suggesting, like, well, there's obviously this huge problem that I've explained over the last two hours. This is how we're going to solve it. I don't know. But if nothing else, I need you to be aware of it. It's more about, I think, presenting or asking questions more than answering them because it's not like... I'd say even though you have one character dying at the end, considering all the other things that happen in the film, it's a relatively positive ending considering all of the bad things that go on, all the stereotyping. Um, a lot of characters discover very positive things about themselves. But really it's, it, and I think too, even though um, you have Los Angeles and a lot of us can't relate to living in a metropolis like that, no, I think really I the, the movie's more about holding me up and saying, okay, so... Who am I, and who are we, and, and what are we doing? Or how would I react in that situation? Because yeah. it's easy to think, you know, well, I don't know why Sandra Bullock is saying those terrible things about. Um, but I wasn't. I wasn't just hijacked. Uh, my car wasn't just stolen. And and I also thought it was interesting too that these that the uh, ludicrous and his buddy the beginning. I think yeah. Well, see, that's, that's one of the best oh, parts. Yeah, one of the best parts. Yeah. You know everything that he is saying about the fact that they should be scared. He's like, you know, it's funny, but it's it's pretty accurate. But then, then they know, turn it, around and pull guns out. And, yeah, it's like, and, no, but we are the stereotype. Right, exactly. So they carjack they they car car the DA's Escalade. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. it's like, look, look at that woman over there. So you have Brendan Fraser's character, the, the DA, then Sandra Bullock's character, his wife. It's like, oh, look, she just, you know, got cold all of a sudden because she's afraid of us. And we're just, you know, we're just black we're men. Not even dressed dressed like even, do we even look like gangbangers? Right. And they're like, then they, you, why shouldn't we be scared? Because we have guns. And then yeah. they hijack the Escalade. Yeah. That that took me by surprise. I was yeah. like, "No, these two aren't just two guys hanging out in this neighborhood. No, they're they're genuinely there to jack somebody's mm-hmm. car." And I was like, "What the what?" Ah. Yeah, because he went off. The ludicrous his character went off for almost ten minutes on how unfair it was that he didn't get a cup of coffee from the black waitress who. He didn't order a cup of coffee, and then when he says, "Well, you know, she knows that you know black people don't tip," and then he said, "Well, how much did you leave her?" I'm not going to pay extra for that kind of service. Yeah. And then he was like, boom, there it is. You know? And that's, that's uh, a, a later point uh, when that comes around is um, you have Terrence Howard's character who is a movie director slash producer who just looks over at Ludacris who just ends up um, trying to carjack him too. And they just get away scot-free. Terrence Howard's still driving, gives Ludacris the gun that was originally his and just looks at him and says... You're embarrassing to yourself. I'm ashamed to be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm ashamed to you. You basically, you're embarrassing. You're ashamed of yourself. Yeah, and 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 that character's turn. Then the ludicrous character's turn when he he (laughs) jacks the 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 old Asian man's car. Mm -hmm. You think at first that that old Asian guy is all nice and innocent. No, he's trafficking human beings at that point. When the whole back of the van is filled with you know Filipino women, and and it's like. Holy crap, that was horrible. And when he turns around and just lets them go, that's a redemption moment for him. Mm-hmm. And there's the redemption moment with the uh, the racist cop, you know? I mean, was he racist truly, or was he... Or was I guess it, this is this is a thing that... Yeah, was it the to... scenario where his father, you know, right. ran this business and he worked I... with mostly black workers, but then, you know... And this is just according to this character speaking to, like, an HMO person... 
looking for, I guess, a break for his father who's having health problems, but he goes in there and explains a scenario and he makes it seem like minority businesses eventually got a better break than his dad did with his business and his dad's business went under, dad lost his wife. So he's, he says to this lady who is unfortunately named Shaniqua Johnson, Shaniqua Johnson. They had to pick, like, the most stereotypical name. They they really Mm -hmm. did. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that... I think that Matt Dillon is absolutely racist, and I think almost the insinuation is that this job as a New York City cop has turned him into this prejudice. Los Angeles police has has, has made him racist. Officer John Ryan. Jack Ryan. I'm I'm looking at... I'm, I'm just looking at IMDb with the character names, but... Uh, we were discuss- discussing this before we started recording, but it's almost like the characters' names are almost irrelevant. They're just They're people, just pretty white much. White guy number one, black guy number two. Police officer number one, police guy officer Guy with dreads, two. you know. Yeah. I mean, they could have taken the names out of this and made it just all about this, the stereotypical character. You Which know, the, the names barely ever appear. Like, I didn't know the yeah. DA's name until I saw Absolutely it not. on uh, the outside of his office. I just thought, okay, it's Brendan Fraser playing a DA. Okay. Yeah. Which was a good role for him because he just remained stone-faced the whole time and didn't have much expression. Perfect. Perfect perfect casting. Perfect casting for him. Which is another interesting part about that movie, too. I mean, the, the, the cast all did really good, some better than others, but it was almost like the casting choices went against stereotypes as well. You know, like Sandra Bullock was doing these um, miscongeniality movies... So, so some of these casting choices were so incredibly Against not the grain. typical. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's kind of a um, interesting tactic. Almost. Well, with and with Terrence Howard too. Uh, what was the film he was in where he played like a, a rap artist oh, slash uh, hip hop producer? Because um, um, I, I, I can't Hustle remember. Did that come out yeah. before or after? Because that was one of his bigger breakthrough. Um, I'm pretty sure that came out after. Okay, so maybe not with him, but. It was interesting, too, so you have Ludacris' character, who is billed here as Anthony, talking about how uh, hip-hop was pretty much... Just after. ...was pretty much created by the FBI to Mm -hmm. dumb down African-American males after the 1960s, because he said, oh, we had the 1960s, we have all these strong, strong. powerful African-American artists, and then uh, he said the FBI came in and created rap and pretty much dumbed down or tried to dumb down the African-American population. Here's a rapper in a film saying this, mm-hmm. right. which I thought was a, yeah, a nice that, bit of irony. Oh, yeah. That is a very tasty bit of irony, yeah, yeah. and that he was saying that. Because he's basically then throwing his own, well, we know, he's throwing his own meal wagon under the bus, so. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that there's this movie that when it came out, I thought that I was the only person who didn't watch it, and now here we are doing this no, podcast, I, I, all you know three what? of us... I want to say that at some point in time I did see it, but I did not remember seeing it. Because now that I'm, I've had more time to actually think about the movie and, and to go back, I'm, I'm starting to think that I had seen it at a, at a different point. But, and I think what made me uncomfortable about it this time made me uncomfortable the first time. And so I just decided not to inv- go back and watch it again. You know? I don't know how you guys, I don't know how you guys react to movies... The, uh, in general, but if you watch it once and you love it, you're going to go back to it again and again and again and again and again. You know, I mean, that's me. It's like with literature. If I love it, I'm going to go back to it again because I'm always going to find something new about it that I want. That this movie, well made. Obviously, there was some was some there were some awards given out for this movie. Yeah, this one best I mean, picture. Yeah, one best picture, didn't it? And that was the year and Brokeback see, Mountain came out. It was a little bit of a controversy. And see, that was the other thing that I was very surprised was not in Crash was a homosexual couple because that would have made a lot of sense because it's it, not just it's, looking at okay, it's white people and black people racist. You know, you have all kinds of different characters. You have a police woman whose parents are from El Salvador, El Salvador and Puerto Rico. You have obviously Asian characters, African American characters. Um, just people from all kinds of walks of life, but that seems to be one of the ones that's left out. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and again, yeah, I thought well, that would have been perfect. You know, that would have been in, perfect in this. In and what is more relevant now? Yes, race is still a very big argument in this country and will. But for the past three years, what has been the big argument? 
at least as far as culturally speaking. Yeah. I think it's been equal rights. Absolutely. It has been equal sexual rights as far as sexual preference and marriage rights and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, and I think that that, and this is obvious, you know, ten years later, obviously, but um, still, I think it's just as valid, though. Yeah, it is. So. And as far as as seeing the film goes. Um, I remember a lot of people talking about it. The, instru- the interesting statistic I saw, I think this was the first time in a long time when this won the Best Picture Award that um, a movie that had won it had grossed so little. I think it was over a little over $53 million. But obviously it was it had to be considered a, a commercial success because it you know made back seven times more than it cost. Like I was reading right. about what was put into it and... They borrowed a set from the TV show Monk. Uh, I believe the director like used his car in parts of it. Like this whole mm-hmm. thing, I believe, was based off of him getting carjacked outside of a video store in like 1991. Oh, the director? Yeah. Wow. Really? Somebody integral. I know it's on the Wikipedia page, mm-hmm. and I I read through the whole thing. It's actually not a very lengthy one, which I would I would have thought it would have been longer with a a best picture. Oh, sure. Um, film but a lot of interesting stuff in there and maybe that that's the only reason why maybe the the homosexual character or characters aren't in there because i watched the movie then read the wikipedia page i was wondering myself is this supposed to be set in the early 90s where it was i mean it was something that was happening but as far as society goes it wasn't as widespread but then you're also in los angeles too so yeah so, when I, I remember watching Mockingbird when I was younger, and I don't know right. why, but Robert Duvall, t- I remember being really scared of Robert Duvall. Like, when well, I knew you know, he Boo was Brad, about to be shown. Boo was supposed to be a frightening character. For sure. They built Boo him was, up to be They built him up to be this exactly. psycho. Supposedly, he stabbed you know, his, He was just... Had a scar. He... But yeah. he didn't. He wasn't 6'5". No. Yeah, he wasn't exactly. that big. He wasn't that scary. But I mean, he was a little creepy. But, but that was kind of... The, the point of his character, which yeah, he's, is... he's a very had, handsome, pale-skinned man. You, Yeah, you had a real-life um, character in Tom Robinson who was made out to be, you know, this, this savage person when really he was just humble and a hard worker, and you know that that case was bogus, everything against him. It just so happened that, you know, being off picture for most of the film, Boo Radley had the same thing happen to him where he was demonized, called this or that. He probably killed a man. Probably, but we and don't know that. It and, reminded and then, me when they were describing. So the the kids are telling the story. Dill, who's a hilarious Simon Dill, Birch kind Dill of is like that. What was with his clothing? He wore the, the same short black shorts shot, and socks tall and socks and the, and the shirt and the, and the, sh- the same buttoned all the way up to his n- top of it. Oh God! His story was really sad Agnes, though. Does if Dill you have a neck, if you paid attention to his story though, even though he's kind of a minor character, is really sad. Yeah, my dad was on the railroad, and then. He discovered he's airplanes and he's flying and he's filthy rich and he's going to come pick me up someday. He's no, ca- he's not. <laughs> That's so sad. Yeah, I know. All along, he keeps making... He might have just made that story up. His dad's story kept getting more and more fantastic throughout the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I mean, something's with poor Dill, but... Yeah. Well, and he's over there every day during the summer. Oh, yeah. Which, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess when you're little... What do you have to do at that point yeah. in time? I mean... Which, that's one of the in- interesting differences between the films. You do have in Crash... Uh, child character, a child character who plays a big role in two relatively important scenes. But in To Kill a Mockingbird, you have three, at very least three child actors, maybe two. They arguably, are the movie. Who arguably. are the movie? Yeah, we pointed that out earlier because so uh, because Scout narrates it from act, yeah. the future, them, looking yeah. back. Yeah, I love um, I love movies, and it's usually Spielberg that does this for me, just because of whatever he encapsulates, but. It has, it's such a way of, of making you feel what the character is feeling. And with Spielberg, it's usually children. And it's, oh, yeah. You know, the whole movie's centered around children, and it's usually child empowerment. And there's usually this theme of, you know, don't underestimate what the power of, like, uh, Innocence can do which, or, like, hi, Mr. Which, Cunningham. Right, that, that was mean, one of the. That that was exactly one, that's like, what I was going to say. Probably when Scout says that. That's yeah. arguably my favorite scene from the film. Is okay. You have what pretty much equates to a lynch mob coming up to Atticus Finch, sitting outside the cell of his client, 
these guys want to, these white guys want to kill Tom Robinson, a black man wrongfully accused of rape and beating up uh, a small white girl. So then these kids show up and uh, thank you for that synopsis. By yeah, the way. that was good. I yeah. appreciate that because <laughs> we hadn't seen the full film yet. I yeah, mean, I didn't watch it. I just, you know, I mean, you know, go ahead. Rhea's Spark Notes right now. Yeah, but then, exactly right. Then you know uh, these these kids make their way through the through the crowd. Atticus Finch, um, and then he's sitting there. His kids, kids show up, and then Scout's like, "Oh, hey, Mister Cunningham, who's uh, I guess." He used to be one of uh, Atticus Finch's clients who's well, yeah, paying him back with now, food yeah, pretty much. Back, it's yeah. like, hey, tell your son I said, hey. And then Mr. Cunningham just like, okay, boys, move along. Yeah. We look like <laughs> We look like assholes. Jerks right ex- now. Exploited as poor. See, I read to Stuart one of the uh, critiques of this movie from Roger Ebert. He said, um, basically he said that that uh, mono, not monologue, but that line that Scout gives is a strategic calculated move to like shrink him down to size to make him feel and I I don't think that it was I don't was, know if it's on purpose I by don't, her no I, I think so. I think in because the script it's on purpose obviously yeah, we get it as adults as we're watching it we get what she's doing but I think from a pure character standpoint Scout number one fearless I mean gets in fights with boys just absolutely fearless and number two honest She's going to speak it like it is. And when she sees that this is going on and she sees somebody that she recognizes and sees somebody who she's had a conversation with, in her mind, why not address him directly? Why not talk about their, their, their similarities or their, their touch points? And one of them is his son. Mm-hmm. And she basically points out the fact, hey, I'm your daughter's, I'm your son's friend. Oh, hey, tell, tell Walter I said, hey. And then it's all very good and it's all very innocent. And you can see the men just deflating, mm-hmm. their purpose just flying away from them at that point when this young girl points out just the simplest things. I mean, it's just simple. And it's, I, I think that. I, I'm not sure that the the review or that that bit would, was it Roger Ebert? Yeah, I don't think it was as calculating as as what he made it out to be. Yeah, from I mean, a character think, standpoint, I right? Think from she a would calculate that no. like she's such a spontaneous little she girl is. She is that she wouldn't be like, I'm going to go up there and say something to just make this mob disperse right now. She's no. like, I did, oh look, there's my dad. Oh hi, dad. Look, it's me. Oh look, it's Mr. Cunningham. I'm going to talk to Mr. Cunningham. Hey, how are you? I know you're. Oh so look, on. a blue car. You know, yeah. it could have been yeah. as simple as that. You know, well, but, it was black and white day, so the car would have right. either been black or white. Oh jeez. Before the world turned to. Reds and greens Thank and you. yellows. Thank you, Pleasantville. Technicolor. Yeah. So I think the only uh, argument for it being calculated, which maybe she knew, maybe she didn't, is that early on in the movie, you know, Scout asks Atticus why he got those hickory nuts. And right, uh, right, know, right. He right, does right. mention it's embarrassing for him to talk about it because he's poor and blah, blah, blah. But... At the same time, you know, she's seven. I mean, what else does she, she have to talk for, to him about? She might have forgotten the reason why it's embarrassing for him. You know, you, you don't really know if it's it's coming from the mind and, and mouth of a child when they're speaking in a film. It's just like she could have forgotten that because oh, she yeah. went to go outside and play. Yeah. And it's funny. I think it's interesting that while this Cunningham character shows up on the steps and is with this lynch mob, he's truly an honorable character. He is not a bad man. Mm-hmm. There are probably other men in that lynch mob who are not bad men either, but they had a way of thinking that, by our standards, is completely outmoded and and basically I, we couldn't even it wouldn't even occur to us to think mm-hmm. that way. But at that point in time and that particular place, he is put in that position and maybe takes a baby step towards redemption a little bit, even yeah. further, and becomes a more honorable character, more honorable person yeah. you know, as a result. Well, and, and I think, too, that plays into, and Crash can attest to this, too, but, you know, from a broad perspective, it would be peer pressure, but yeah. from a more, you know... Um, Group thinking, yeah, societal like norms, mob, mob person societal mechanisms, even if you want to go good, that far. is good-natured, is good-hearted, but people change that, you know, like um, with Crash, with Ryan Philippi, when he was watching Matt Dillon, you know, assault Tandy Newton, he's he's got all these choices to make, you know, and, and the same with, um, you know, with Mockingbird, here's this man, Mr. Cunningham, who's like so indebted to Atticus that he's like painted with hickory nuts, 
and you know uh, all these other men have this idea, and he's like, oh yeah, okay, well I'm gonna take these ideals too. I totally agree, but no, not really though, because yeah. you're so easily broken down. Well, like and you were saying, it's a mom mentality, right? And and this, I hate to even credit this line to to, <laughs> but it's like Tommy Lee Jones' character in in uh, Men in Black. All right, when when they're sitting there and and they're on the side on, on the in. They're in front of the water, and and he, you know, Will Smith's character says, "Why in the world don't we just tell people? People are smart." And Tommy Lee Jones says, "A person is smart. Groups of people are dumb, panicky animals, and you yeah. know it. Yeah. And that's the point, you know, because that group mentality gets in the way. And yeah. I think it's it that group mentality. You did grab your pitchforks and torches. We're yeah. going to burn the, you know, you know, burn the monster. Well, the monster in this case is Tom Robbins." And because you know it is, it is a fear. Is if it is an ignorance that builds fear, which then builds intolerance, which then results in the horrible, horrible things that have happened as a result of that. And it, it continues today with race, religion, with with countries' ignorance of each other. I mean, we see it every day in this mm-hmm. country. So. It's expanded. It's not a, a tiny out well, of a town anymore. But we're way more aware of it now than we ever were. You know, just 30 years ago because mm-hmm. of the internet, because of, you know, 24-hour news channels. I mean, you know. Yeah. I mean, shit. And I think that's what, I mean, this is just a, a broad, without even bringing up specific examples uh, from each film, but each one, you know, they both brought up question was also saying, you know, even though it's sad, a lot of times it's easier to stereotype than just to go up to a human being who's different from you and say, hi, how are you, what's your name, what are you about? You know, It shows that we just put walls up between each other based on religion, like you said, based on race, based on sex, based on gender constructs. Um, that last one made... Well, that one even played a little bit of a role, not so much in To Kill a Mockingbird, but just a little bit with uh, Scout's character because she's very androgynous. She's a tomboy. Oh, by far. And, and that, that was one of my favorite yeah. lines when they were, uh, all three of the main kids were going to um, figure out what was going on with Boo Radley. You know, they're all sneaking up to the fence and uh, Scout's like, I don't know, I'm going to go back. And uh, Jim Finch turns around and says, you know, you're getting more and more like a girl. You sound more like a girl. Yeah. I don't like well, the, fact <laughs> dress. Dress. the fact that she's the fact that she's so ashamed dress. about the dress yeah. then, too. I mean, all right, yeah. So the, Atticus is raising these two. By the way, if we don't touch on it at some point, we got to talk about the names in in this. Atticus, Jem, Dill, Scout. I mean, Boo, Boo. I mean, all of these names. The most normal name of all of them is Tom, the accused. Yeah, at this yeah. point, you know. Might I mean, crazy names. White people be crazy in this in this yeah. story. I mean, but but the the fact that I don't even know where I was going after, beside the names. Where was I going? Um, why don't I edit this and we'll take a little break? Cool. Well, actually, that's a good point. Um, because if and I I haven't read *To Kill a Mockingbird* by well now, I know shame on me. But even if you look at last names. One of the, or I, I should say, the main villain in To Kill a Mockingbird is Yule. Mm-hmm. Well, it's spelled like E W A L, like you. Yeah. Yeah. So like he's just a dumb Yule. He's a dumb animal. You can see from the movie, he's just like so he's a sheep. filled of hate. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like he would follow anything anybody told him, pretty much. Yeah. So there is some name symbolism there, I would say. And of course, it's based on a literary work, so yeah. you probably see that maybe a little bit more. Maybe perhaps we don't know the names of the characters right, that much because right. they don't really matter a whole no, lot. No, they don't. Yeah, I think Daniel Ruiz stands for Daniel Ruiz. It'd be great if the Cosmic. if the actors from if uh, from Crash were billed as the actors' names. Well, that's Brendan kind of Fraser interesting. As Brendan Fraser. Um, be you see it kind of next to some of the characters' names on IMDb, but uh, to the left. I'll just use Ludacris. On the left, it has Ludacris' picture, his name Ludacris, then the character's name on the right, Anthony, and then ellipses as Chris Ludacris Bridges. That's pretty funny. <laughs> A little bit odd, because I don't know if I've ever really seen that. Yeah, and Ryan Phillippe says Officer Tom Hansen as, as Ryan, Ryan Phillippe. That's weird. All right, let's 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 think about that and take a break. And okay. then I'll stutter more when we come back. The words. 
two for these movies. Um, so we watched, me and Stu watched Mockingbird uh, today. We just finished it about two hours ago. And I remember, you know, every film class, any English class in high school will, um, this, this Harper Lee novel, um, which was Pulitzer Award winning, of course. Yeah. Um, it's really fun to watch for me. I was surprised at how, first of all, um, it's very Hitchcockian, and I don't know if maybe... That's the style. At yeah, that time. yeah, but I mean, as far as using the eyes, Hitchcock loved to use the eyes to convey a certain emotion or a certain reaction. Um, but I'm thinking of the scene in the woods... At the end? At the end. Oh, yeah. The shadow play was awesome throughout the whole movie. I like Scout walking around his ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scout walking around his ham was hilarious. As if the costume wasn't obvious enough. Cause and, and it goes back to us on. talking about her just kind of hating being a stereotypical girl. She did have her dress on, but she would rather run around the street or wander through the forest in a ham costume than... She had a shift on underneath. It was like a, it was it was not her actual dress that she had underneath. She her dress was quote unquote lost. But the fact that she's walking around in a ham outfit, she is a ham, not a piece of ham. No, no, it's a full ham. She's a full ham. That's hilarious. She went full ham. Yeah. So um, Jem Jem stands her up. Zooms in on the eyes with the altercation between Mr. Uh, or with uh, Yule and Boo. And they don't show any action at all with what's happening with this altercation. But you see her eyes, you see her eyes light up, move around. And then she moves her eyes to the ground and you know like, okay, he died. He's dead. And I just think that's such an, a really interesting way of, of getting that point across, you know. I think it's also interesting. I, I, I guess I'm not sure why Yule is there at that time. How does he end up in the woods at that moment, right where those kids are? Is he waiting for them? I think he was waiting for them. Okay, but to what end? Tom but, Robbins is dead. Yeah, and, and, they, and a full year had passed. And just yeah, and, and and so is he now on this vendetta against against Atticus? For, I think so. For what purpose, though? He got what he wanted. I think, you know, they, a lot of people will use the expression killing them with kindness. And, you know, you can use this at, um, you know, if you work in a hospital and you have a really difficult patient, sometimes being, like, overly nice and kind is the best, I guess, form of revenge if you want to use that. Oh, yeah. No, it, I understand. Gets, so I think that scene where Ewell spits on Atticus's face, you know, trying to get some sort of physical reaction out of him, and he wipes his face turns either cheek and leaves. I think that infuriates Huel so much that he's like, I'm not I'm not satisfied. I wanna So he lets it then simmer for an entire year before he has an opportunity to do wrong? I mean It seemed like one of those very convenient plot turns which is just like oh is, the person the person who was you know chasing your kids just happened to be Yule and uh, we just happened to find him with the kitchen knife in his ribs and he just so happens to be dead so one life for another life goes on right well, excellent I, I think that the the explanation by the sheriff at the end mm-hmm. was exactly adequate when he the sheriff is like listen he fell on a knife. I think he fell on his knife. <laughs> and I think that if we say anything else, even though it is probably the ethical thing to do, it, the the human thing in this case would be better to just ignore it. Let mm-hmm. it be. Let's say he fell on this knife. Let's say that Boo, you know, because they didn't want Boo to be in the spotlight. I mean... They don't want either of them to be in the spotlight, no, really. No, 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 no. I mean, Atticus at first thought it was his own son who might have done it. Right, and right. Which, that surprised me very much. Like, I, can't, I can't remember how old my son is, whether he's a, a 12, 12 or 13. 13. Right, yeah. That was, which, that, was that surprised Yeah, that was interesting. But then, when it comes right down to it, you know, the, the sheriff is like, no, this will cause more harm than it will good if we actually tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And thank goodness that Atticus does see that the truth in what he's saying and and realizes that there can be no greater good than was already done in the in the woods there. Yeah. But it still seems somewhat convenient and it is kind of a it is a a hole in an otherwise 
relatively solid story how Boo just happened to be there. Mm-hmm. Yule just happened to be there on this stormy. Yeah, it's like, night. so that means that Boo was stalking them as well. I right, mean, which you, you kind of you kind of figured because you know the tree in the house where Boo right. has the two dolls and. He leaves this, uh, what looks like, I, I think Jim explains it as a spelling award, and he found a clock in there, and you see the father come back and put cement over the hole in the right. tree where he's leaving Right, from doing it. Yeah, because yeah. he doesn't want his, his son, who's a total misfit, to communicate with the outside world, because he's very embarrassed and ashamed of his son, who appears to be, I don't know exactly what his deficiency is, well, there or was his some, disorder is, whatever you want to call it. I don't there know was if some like speculation that he was, a, he was uh, an albino, or somebody who... Obviously, he's very pale. Obviously, he's very... Um, he's obviously mentally ill in some yeah. capacity. Yeah. But, you know, he's not to the... He's not the boogeyman, though, that, that the For neighborhood sure. has made him out to be, obviously, too. So. And this might be over overthinking it, overanalyzing the plot, but, like, it, it might actually need... It, it might be something that needs to be addressed. I mean, if he... It's nice that he saved Jem's life and he right. saved Scout's life and he's not this monster that he's been portrayed to be but he does he kill might, a man he did kill a man and he got away with it scot free absolutely so this might need to be something that we look into to kill a mockingbird too starring, starring Arnold uh, Schwarzenegger and uh, <laughs> oh God, well, Sylvester, Stallone. Sylvester Stallone I think Robert Duvall yeah. should just be an Expendables 5 it's like listen I just didn't want to talk because I ain't a snitch Okay, because he just got away with murder. Okay, so then here's my other question that I I I go myself (laughs) that I go back and forth with, you know, because at the very beginning of the credits, you know, they're showing the names and they show the whistle, the pocket watch, the harmonica, the marbles, and then it comes to be these are all the items that they found from uh, Boo in the tree, and uh, Scouts kept these all 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 the years, and they make such a point to you know, mention the title and where the title comes from. Right, right. And, you know, a mockingbird is without sin and does nothing but good. So who is the, like, you You assume that there's a mockingbird. It, it could be, I, I don't really think it's, I, I think it's Atticus, I think is, is my final thought on the uh, mockingbird. Who the mockingbird is supposed to be? <clears throat> Because it's not... I don't think it's really supposed to be one character. Really? Yeah. I, I think mean, it's that's more of a general too. idea. It, yes. You don't, you know, as it was explained, you don't shoot the Mockingbird because all it does is sing. It doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't damage the corn. It doesn't, you know, get into your garden otherwise. It, it doesn't, you know, do any harm. And so um, I think it's just the general idea of doing good for the sake of good. Yeah. Which, I mean, if you want to look at it that way, it could be Tom Robinson because you know that that whole trial was com- completely bogus. He couldn't have won the first one anyway, and he probably really was just going by and doing chores for this woman out of the goodness of his heart. Well, know? his biggest mistake. What was his biggest mistake? He said he felt sorry he for He felt sorry woman. for a white woman. Yeah. It, was not, it was not bad enough that he's on yeah. trial for the supposed rape. No, no, no. He felt sorry for a white woman. But you yeah. can understand why when she's talking, it's just like, wow, her dad beats her and maybe even does more horrible things. This is the other side. And that's her life, yeah, yeah I mean, which she he seemed, probably picked up on. She wasn't the brightest brightest bulb either. I mean, I think she she obviously, you know, had feelings for Tom at in some level that went beyond, you know, hey, you're my neighbor or hey, you live down the road or whatever. I mean it obviously was something more significant, but the shame that she felt then mm-hmm. as a result of those feelings and probably more importantly, the threats of her father um, drive her to, to, to just be hysterical. And she's just... I'll tell you what, the, the white people in this, with the exception of Atticus, they just seem the, the worst possible people ever. Very especially backward. the Yules. I mean, Very they, backward people. Really, truly... And I thought it was really interesting when, at the beginning of the trial, the kids show up and they don't have anywhere to stand amongst the others. So what was the natural thought of the kids? Well, we'll approach the reverend. And, and they go up and they're, they're with the, the African Americans in the upper balcony. And, and they don't seem even to hesitate. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, again, it's the innocence of childhood, the innocence of children who have been raised to be tolerant, of uh, of all 
races regardless. It, it's beautiful because if you see a kid, you, you know, put all a bunch of kids in a room who've never even heard the word race before, they're all going to play with each other. Yeah. Now, they might figure out eventually that there are real reasons not to like each other. Like Which somebody is all might influenced just be, by adults. Right. I mean, they might, I mean, but also there might just be a real dick of a kid in there. Somebody who's just mean. Yeah. Naturally. That's a real reason to not like somebody. Somebody's just completely ignorant and won't learn. That's a real reason not to like somebody. But, you know, for race or creed or religion or anything else, no, those are dumb. Those are just the worst possible reasons. Yeah. Well, I think at um, schematic level with the uh, uh, filming techniques... Well, from the, the Alfred Hitchcock the, Yeah, style, the, the yeah. Hitchcock, whatever, but the trial specifically, they don't use a lot of amazing... Film techniques, as far as you know, the, I, I realized it was 1962, but you know that was still within the Hitchcock time, so there was something going on. However, with uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird*, I th- I feel like Robert Mulligan, you know, they used zoom like three times, yeah, um, and it was all in the trial scene to prove a point. They used a, a tracking shot at the very end, you know, when they're well, pulling it out, the yeah, window, yeah. Pull out, right. But um, I always love and notice this in movies when they use fade-ins and fade-outs as a way of uh, portraying the passing of time. You know, like, the due process in the 30s must have been awesome because it's like a two-hour um, talk with the jurors, and then and then it's done. There's no repeal. There's no retrial. Well, there might have... There, they, he, he says to him on the way out, we'll try and get this retried. Oh, yeah, yeah, We'll yeah, try yeah, and yeah. appeal. The, you know, he, he said, you know, I... I didn't expect to win the first he one. He even says it. No, like, he I didn't said, expect, I didn't to, expect to come close one. to win the first one, but the second one, we'll, we'll get it next time. We'll win it next time. And it just, you know, again, it's it's one of those, you know, you knew that when when Tom is leaving the courtroom, that he wasn't going to live. He wasn't going to survive. Somebody at that point in time found a way to get to him. And what, lo and behold, they concoct a story of him running away. Like a crazy man. Like a crazy man. Which he didn't crazy to begin yeah. with, you know? I mean, Atticus knew it was a line of bullshit that he was, you know, being fed. Mm-hmm. When he's being told that this happened, he knows for a fact that he didn't run. He didn't wasn't acting crazy. He was shot because they wanted him dead. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, he even said that when he's talking in his, I guess you could call it, closing argument um, about who here is really guilty. He's talking about how Mela wants to just get rid of Tom yep. Robinson, just get rid of him, get mm-hmm. rid of the guilt that she, the feels, guilt that she the feels, shame that she feels, and really, it's not just her. It's anybody who's involved. It's like, oh. Now, how dare he say that this this black man say that he is sorry for a white woman? Oh you no, know, yeah. we can't keep him alive and let him walk. Oh yeah, he might actually be human. God yeah, forbid, right? You know, and that's that's the tragic part of it. Um, obviously, with looking at Crash to Kill a Mockingbird and real life events, obviously right. there's still racism. But that was probably the biggest part of the movie that was really sad to me. And to Kill a Mockingbird is just how this guy doesn't really do anything wrong, Tom Robinson, and then they're just like, yeah, he's he's thrown to the wolves, he's dead. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. And it's reflected again and again and again in, in the attitudes that unfortunately are still around today. I mean, the perfect example is the most recent shootings in, in Missouri, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that whole situation, which is once again ignited you know, the racial tensions here in this country. And, and it causes a bigger divide every single time it occurs. Well, what's interesting when you think about the reaction, specifically in Ferguson versus, you know, and Mockingbird, I'm thinking of the scene where Ewell approaches Atticus when he's at uh, the Robinson household, right. spits in his face, uh, and, you know, the, the way that, that black culture is portrayed as far as, like, mentality and restrain like there's this drunk white guy that is just spit in the face of our our favorite white guy in the world and um sure we could totally go and 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 beat his ass and get our street justice our vigilante whatever you want to call it but they understand that that's not gonna that's not gonna change it's not gonna anything. change anything it's yeah. not gonna change Plus they would, at that point i mean uh in, in that at that time in that location you know they would be terrified of doing that 
because what would what would right be into the, the yeah what would well, be the reper- what would be point. the repercussions they would personally and then as an ethnicity face in that area just by simply knowingly and willingly beating up a white man. There was Especially no with way. all the ties to it, you know, they would all be hanged. What's the case? Yeah, oh, yeah. they even if they weren't, oh, yeah. even if they weren't literally hanged, they would be hanged in some way culturally. In that culturally, in that area. yeah, they, I mean, they, they would end up like get, Tom Robinson yeah. in some way. They would right. they would be erased in some way, thrown mm-hmm. in prison. I love the respect that when at the very end of the trial, you know, Atticus is the last person to leave the courtroom. And the reverend looks at Scout and is like, "Stand up, your father's passing." Oh yeah, that's when he a, leaves that's the room. Great that moment, is though. awesome. Like everybody, is so everybody cool. in the balcony is right, still there. Everybody standing. on the floor is gone. Right. Yeah, like, like oh, the show's over. This this individual's fate is unfortunate. It's not looking great. But that aside, your father has spoke volumes for. Not just our people, but intolerance in general. Just oh, for yeah. human beings, because that was one of the main lines, and uh, it'll probably be a paraphrase by me, but um, Atticus has to explain why he is defending Tom Robinson, uh, and he's explaining it to Scout, and he says, you know, I'm just doing it so I can walk through this town and just hold my head up. Like yeah, He's saying right. that, you know, I, I have to do this because nobody else probably will. Yeah, right? And I know it, from, from my moral standpoint... I, I have to do this. I don't have a choice. Well, and I think it's that's interesting that you say that because even the um, the neighbor, the, the, the woman who comes over after the trial and, and just before Atticus finds out about Tom, she says to, to, to both Jem and Scout, your father, there are people in our society who are asked to do very distasteful, awful, hard things. Your father is one of those people. And your father understands that he is one of those people, basically, and is willing to do it regardless. Mm-hmm. Now, she wasn't speaking of, of necessarily the distasteful, from a white person's standpoint, defending a black person at that point. She was speaking of the, the distastefulness of it, of being hard. It's just Being a lawyer. Hard. Preparing her for life, basically. You're, right. For the rest of your father's career. Right. It's just very difficult. It. To do that, and and uh, we've all, I think, known people who have taken on those hard things, you know, in our own lives. And I think maybe you probably know it. The, you probably know it as being uh, somebody who's been in the educational field for so oh, geez, long. Yeah. The, the, I mean, it's one of those things where, and you could speak more about this than I could, but I think the people that I've talked to are my age or a little bit younger going into it have just this idealized picture of what it's going to be like. Then I'll talk to someone like you or. Um, my sister-in-law, who uh, teaches special needs kids, and oh, it's not—it's yeah. not a pretty picture. A lot of times, yeah. it is rewarding for her, but right, you have to be right. a special person to succeed at it. You don't—you you have to be—you have to be willing yeah. to take on those challenges that are presented every single day when there are no clear-cut answers. There's, there's no, no necessi- clear-cut reward either. There's no, well, the reward aside, it's—it's it's, there's no right or wrong necessarily. There's there's a way that you want to do it. Or there's a way that that would be the best for the individual, but it's not always necessarily going to happen. And yeah. and that is that that is why Atticus Finch is such a uh, a lasting character and the one I guess that uh, you know AFI what was it he's in like the, the top one of the greatest heroes, heroes of the 20th, 20th century, century not right. character right or actor but hero right right and and I guess we could look at it in in that light in a way because he is self-effacing he does not ask for a reward he does not ask for glory he he's doing it because it is the right thing to do and if more people even today just did it because it's the right thing to do we would have less ignorance less intolerance and a hell of a lot happier place to live and he's he's definitely not your stereotypical lawyer because now when you see a lawyer portrayed in any type of media now it's just like oh this guy has ferraris and porsches right right uh Going back to the start of the film, when Mr. Cunningham comes over and Atticus is speaking to Scout, Scout's like, Daddy, are we poor? He's like, yes, we are. Not as poor as Mr. Cunningham, but no, we're still we're, poor. No, we're a different I mean, kind of poor. We're, we're poor. Yeah, poor, but we're yeah. still poor. Yeah, exactly. We still have a servant, so we're not that poor, but... Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't call her a servant. She was more part of the family. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, it, she was a housekeeper. She was well, more no, of I her name is Her name is you Carol. Racist, his name is Carol. I mean, his name. Her name is Carol, right? Mm-hmm. No, and, it's Caldonio. Caldonio? 
That's what it is, Caledonia, and they call her Cal. Oh, because he even asked her one night, uh, would you be willing to stay? Maybe you should be ready to stay. It's not like he yeah. orders her around. It's like, no, hey, no, yeah, you yeah, get this yeah, ready, yeah. you get that ready, you know? No. I think there's a clear-cut difference between that and what probably went on in a lot of places at that Oh, at that time? time? At, yeah. I, think, I actually think that a lot more, there was a lot more of, of, of maybe that sort of situation in the South than what... What history want? What those who have painted the South would necessarily want us to believe? I think that those, while, but I think there was still that disconnect where this character Cal was more part of the family. I think that while I think that a lot of the people who had housekeepers and servants, if you will, at that point in time, were still racially separating themselves. You know what I mean? And, I think and really just, just more like a family helper. I mean, right. some of the conversations that she has with Scout and with Jem and with Atticus is so incredibly relevant to the story. Oh, yeah. And she's not, she's not even... Well, I mean, she even disciplines Scout, Scout at oh, one yeah. point because... <laughs> um, the way she treats the, the, the Cunningham boy. The Cunningham boy comes over and he's not used to a nice meal. So he's like, can yeah. I have some syrup and... He's given the syrup by Cal, and he she pours syrup all over. Cloth? You will yeah. let him eat the tablecloth. He pours syrup all over his meal, and Scout's freaking out about it. And you know, Scout's sent to the kitchen, and Cal gives her a nice hard whap on the ass. Yeah, you know, just basically. Like, hey, yeah. you don't you don't say that about your guest. You mm-hmm. have to have respect, mm-hmm. right? You know, and that's one of that's another one of those scenes in the film that's really awesome. We can make the parallel. Then we could kind of jump that the, this the, well, the housekeeper theme ends up being in crash in crash ends yeah. up being told by by the Sandra Bullock character. You are probably my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know, you are the only one who is truly there for me. Even though she really treats her kind of nastily all throughout, yeah. Yeah. like the the dishwasher. The scene. dishwasher. I just once I'd like to see the cops actually in the cupboard, you yeah. know, or something like that, instead of having to look for him in the dishwasher. And then her and you can totally like, understand okay. that she's yeah. projecting all of her, you know, anger, obviously. But that's why I feel like she. So she has that conversation on the phone. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's with her sister when she's like I would putting that things too. away. Yeah. And so you realize, I don't think she's like chronically racist. I think she's chronically depressed. Or she has anger issues and or she's like just not life. coming to deal right, with it. Right. You know, like, like the the conversation she has before she falls down the steps, I think she's talking to her friend. And she says, "You know, I don't understand it. I'm I'm not happy and I'm just I'm scared all the time. And I don't know if that's really all related to them getting carjacked. I think that's just her um, being a, a representative character, maybe a symbol of, of something that bigger. Kind of that it's just loneliness. Like, yeah, she's yeah, lonely. She and says she's, this has suburban, nothing to do with the carjacking. Yeah, yeah and suburban that suburban loneliness of the of the the stay at home wife. Yeah, it actually, she, wasn't. No, uh, she feels like she's a little bit closed off and doesn't have the life that she wants to have. You know, so now she's just lashing out at other people, everybody, regardless yeah. of yeah. Uh, you know uh, ethnicity or anything else, and she just projects onto the most convenient target, which is, okay, look, this guy over here uh, fixing your lock is obviously in a gang. I'll just slash out at him. Oh, look at her. This is my housemate who does a pretty great job, but, you know, she's the only dog I can kick right now, so I guess, oh, there I'll we go. Her too, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, you're right, yeah. But both very interesting movies to watch together. Thanks, Mom, for this idea. Yeah, not we can't. We can't. We can't tell tons of funny jokes for either of these no. because there's really not a whole there's lot not, of room. This there's is not, not a whole lot to work with. No, there's if not you, not much much laughter. Yeah, no. if you even smile, Ben, you're a racist. How about that? All right, Ben's Ben's clean. He's good. I hate uh, goblins. <laughs> I hate goblins. Except he's uh, yeah, he's pretty stupid people. Goblins. <laughs> Um, right. trying to rack my brain if there's anything else. I don't think so. I think we covered it. I think we covered it. All right. Yeah. Well, it's hard. It's hard. Like you said, it's it, this by its very nature. It, these two films are hard to to. I mean, we can talk thematically all we want. We can talk plot wise all we want. But it's still going to come. It, it's still going to come down to one thing, and that's the idea of of race and how difficult and how. How we're still, as a culture, still struggling with this, and it's not just the United States. I mean, it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the differences that people struggle with are everywhere, and so 
you know, it, yeah, it made me uncomfortable watching, not, not To Kill a Mockingbird, watching Crash made me very uncomfortable to watch it, and I wouldn't choose to watch it again, and, yeah. and unless, you know. Maybe that's a little bit healthy, though, to kind of be put out of your comfort zone. I mean, it I know is. No, it is, but I've again, seen plenty of films again, like that where I'm just like, wow, this is something else. Yeah, I mean, I can say that about films that don't have themes that are, you know, culturally relevant. Eraserhead. You know? Eraserhead. That's a tearjerker, man. Yeah. When I wanted to start watching that. I was like, worm. really? I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm going to watch all of this, but I really don't want to, you know. not It's it, it's for a different reason, but I understand what you mean about some films that are hard to watch for different reasons. Right. I don't necessarily find it difficult to watch uh, when it came to Crash with I mean, with both films, really, I I knew what to expect, but um, with with Crash, really, I think what kept me watching, I, I think, was how they found a way to take a lot of individual stories with different characters and interweave them into one big idea, one big story, which I like as somebody who's more of a literary person. Right. So I appreciated that. There were some things said in the film by almost everybody, you know, because almost everybody in Crash is racist in one way or another. And that's that's what's and one of the points. Yeah. yeah. That's I mean, that's kind of like the point. Even yeah. I mean even going all the way down to Ludacris's character is racist against black people. He is. You know? I mean and it, even in just calling, you know, white people out too, we'll do the same thing. It's like we go into Walmart and you know, we'll see somebody who's dressed in bad clothes, and I'm just saying this in general. You know what right, happens? Right, just right, like right. we'll just point out somebody and say, "Oh, look at that person." You know, this person's lower than me. And that's that's shouldn't shouldn't do that. That's just wrong, and it, it just shows that everybody is guilty in one way or another of stereotyping, whether it's race, religion, sex, whatever. Whatever. So it, it's good to have a film like that to hold up a mirror. I don't know if I would really watch it again either, though. Yeah, I I agree with you there. So, with that, we will conclude our shortest recording to date, and um, we'll call it that. Join us next time. We will be looking at Dark City and Blade Runner. It's going to be Blade Runner Day, Blade Runner Day. A um, little bit of shameless promoting for the website, as usual. Wouldn't be the same without it. Movieshowtheater.com, check it out. You can get all of our past episodes, information on upcoming episodes. Um, you can get cast information, just weird, goofy stuff we've written. So thank you very much, guys, and we'll see you next time.